Death doesn't mean it's wrong. It's painful if it's like a motorcycle accident, right? But I'm talking about like hospice death, right? That doesn't mean it's wrong just because you feel really sad about it. Okay, hospice nurse Julie. Hello. That's the name. Yes, me. Yep. I mean, I, my full name is Julie McFadden, but I talk about myself in third person sometimes. Hospice nurse Julie. Mm-hmm. Why, that's nice. That's kind of like very Seinfeld-esque right? for some reason. I don't know <laughs> it feels why. very weird, but <laughs> it's funny. I did. You, I just did a video about that. I was like, do you want to see hospice nurse Julie mad? And I thought, I just talked about myself in third person. <laughs> that's so weird. That's kind of uh, endearing. Aside from that, I was thinking... Because you have a, excuse my language, I might curse a little bit. i do my best not to. Nurses curse all the time. I mean, you guys have a reason. I don't have a reason. I'm Jersey. That's it. That's the reason. That's my, that's it. That's the reason. <laughs> that's Jersey. Reason. That's it. That's all I have to say. You have, you have a shit ton of followers on TikTok. And I was, you ever like visualize how many, like you try to visualize the actual people that follow you and understand how many people that is? Oddly, I can't believe you just said that because now I feel, I feel a little embarrassed because yes. <laughs> Why are you embarrassed? Because uh, I feel like that sounds, um, what's the word, like a little ego-y. I that think I'm it's like picturing That I picture, because I think about stadiums, like when people like, when, you know, Elton John sells out a stadium of wh- however many people. Yeah. It's more than that. It's a, fr- it's a fraction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, and I, I bring that up, not to like stroke your ego, but just because it's, I love seeing that because, for instance, when I started this podcast, I was always thinking self-conscious, like, oh, I'm going to talk about death. Like, is there really an audience for that? And I didn't care. I cared, obviously, but I wasn't trying to focus on, like, oh, well, people like it. I, just, I really just believe in this and want to do it. But you are have, have this niche, and you have a tremendous following, so it does kind of give me hope in regards to the world of understanding death on that level and the way you do it. It's so important. Yeah, it's validating. It's validating. And can I just make a quick note that I'm not comparing myself to Elton John. <laughs> Elton John is amazing. <laughs> not comparing myself to Elton John. I was, but, I, but that is how I thought of it when I was thinking of the numbers. I was hoping you'd drop a tune like at the end of the, for the outro. Right. I told you, you have good Everyone's mics. like, can... who is this chick fucking Elton John? Come on now. <laughs> so no, Elton John is king. Speaking of outside of Elton John, I have so many questions in regards to, I mean, I don't know if you want you for just in case the whatever million people that already know your name don't know your name, introduce yourself again and what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm Hospice Nurse Julie. That's my name on TikTok. So TikTok is where um, I originally like kind of, so I was like you. I knew I had some cool information and I think it actually is cool. Like I think people need to know about death and dying and there's some really fascinating facts about it. And so I knew I wanted to get it out. I didn't think people would listen, but I thought TikTok was a good place to do it because you can go viral quicker because it's uh, with the algorithm. Like if people are watching it, the TikTok will send it out for the most part, right. which is a whole nother story I could get into, but because now it's not totally like that. But um, so it was validating. I, I I put out a couple of videos and then it went viral and then it just went from there. So that so that's who I am. I, I I'm on TikTok educating about death and dying. And then I since then I've taken I've I've started doing other platforms as well, Instagram, Facebook, which um is funny because I think that's more my audience is Facebook, but I didn't start there. Why is that? Just the age, like age range. I feel like people talk about death and dying. They assume older people want to talk about it. And that's, I, I want everyone to talk about it, but older people think about it more, I think. And older people are on Facebook. And so a lot of obviously younger people are on TikTok, it seems for the most part. So you do see a, a wide range of younger audience that are gravitated to your death talking? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel I see I do get analytics and I do see like the main age group is like 30 to 50. But and they're on TikTok. But it is it is a, a wide range. When did you really start your first video? When, when you started picking up steam? How long ago was it? A year ago. So in May, like my first one of my, uh, like, I think I was four videos in and I just started getting um, thousands of followers. And there was just a realization there's something there. Yeah. But the way you do it for anyone that hasn't seen you is just like, it's so, it's, it's upbeat. It's not, even though you speak about heavy topics and some of the stories you share are very deep and just heavy, you do it in a manner that's digestible. And I think people just can, you know, swallow easier. Yeah, you don't. I mean, you're hilarious. You're ready. You're ready, you're ready to come in here hot, saying, "Yeah, you're like Elton John," even though you said you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but something tells me you got vocals back there. Uh, so how? Did, so how did you become a hospice nurse? How did that? Was that by accident or by? No, definitely by choice. So I was. I've been a nurse for about 14 years. I need to always like recheck myself because years fly by. But I think it's about 14. So I was an ICU nurse for most of those years, and. I just was a very unhappy ICU nurse for way too long. I think it was like nine years. I mean, that's a long time to not like your job. And uh, it was definitely a job. I definitely didn't like it. I had great aspirations of what I was going to be doing with my nursing career. I was going to go back to school and work in anesthesia. And like I had all of these plans. And then I actually did it. I actually did uh, nursing. And I was like, wait a minute, this is rough. (laughs) I don't, this is like a hurry up and care situation. It's not like I thought. It was just so working in the ICU gave me a very different view of life and work and being a nurse and how people were dying and the disservice we were doing to we were doing to people and families, our healthcare system in general. Uh, and it's no one's fault. You know, it's like death is the, the worst possible answer. And I just started learning that that's not true. You know, like uh, I would, I thought there has to be a better way for someone to know they're dying and then make a choice on how they want to do it. Right. Because there's certain diseases, unfortunately, where we're at that are, you know, like you will die from them. And how do you want to do that? And I think that question should be asked right when you get diagnosed because otherwise you end up in an ICU hooked up to tons of machines and then you die that way. And no one has the conversation about what's actually happening until it's too late and then they have to die in the hospital because they're too sick. And that happened so many times over nine years that I was like, I can't do this anymore. Wow. Yeah. So then I became a hospice nurse. And it relates to a post, another post I saw you make, you were speaking on... I hope this is with you. There's a post in regards to you can change if you don't like what you're doing. It was cool because it wasn't even related to hospice or what in general. It was a very general statement that if you're doing something you don't like, just stop and change. Yes. I thought that was really cool how you're mixing in just different inspirational That's for nurses. Because I feel like nursing is a really diverse career. And it's crazy how like I love my job now. I love it. I love what I do. I would do it for free. I mean, I like getting paid too, but like say I had all the money in the world, I still would do my job. That's huge. I would still would do it. Maybe not full time, but I would still want to meet people. I would still want to educate about hospice. I would still want to help people die in a peaceful way if I can. Like I would still want to do it. And prior to becoming a hospice nurse, I hated nursing. And I thought I made the wrong career. I made the wrong career choice. This is not for me. I'm not meant to be a nurse. And that's just not true. And uh, people just need to have the courage, uh, which is hard, to move around and try new things. Yeah, I feel like especially if you've been there for a long time, it gets harder and harder. You feel like you're like pigeonholed into it. And I'm kind of just really jumping in there. But as 
<laughs> I might be all Go over the place. It. Bear with me. Go for it. Has anyone, have any one of your patients ever expressed that they were scared to die? And like, maybe not asked you the question about it, but have they said, I'm, I'm scared to transition? Oh, totally. What do you say to that? So one, I usually feel like, I mean, actually really happy when someone opens up to me like that because many people don't. And if they do, I know I've done a good job. So I'm like so happy they felt safe enough to say something like that because that's such a vulnerable thing to admit. Uh, I could like, I'm not going to cry because I'm too shut down right now. But <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but that could make me cry in a in a like weepy connection, like this is what life's all about kind of way when someone opens up like that because it's such a vulnerable place to be and a vulnerable thing to admit. Because when you are scared, that's a really like usually it's like anger comes out first or like, but the whole idea of admitting to somebody like, I'm just afraid, I'm afraid to die, like that statement right there is like is so vulnerable to say, because once you admit it, it's like out there. And I think most people don't want to do that. So when I get someone who is like open enough to say, I'm afraid, it's like, I know we're in a good spot because that's what most people need to do, I think. And the most people don't because it's too scary to admit. So when they do, all I do is I try not to fix it. And I just sort of sit there and I'll maybe even go like, I know. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like, I just try to be a totally normal human being and just say, like, yeah, it's really scary. Like, it's it's a totally, or I'll make, which just sounds so crazy, but I swear it doesn't seem crazy in the moment. Like, I'll make a joke being like, no shit. (laughs) Like, duh. Yeah, you're scared. You're, that's such a normal thing to feel. And being, being, being in this unknown space is like, you are so normal to be afraid right now. And that's a normal human emotion. And I'm so happy that you can even be in touch with that. Then then I'll go into it. And that's what we're here for is to like help you through that. And you're going to feel scared some days and then angry other days and then peaceful some days. And we're just going to be here to like validate that that's a normal human emotion. And to be honest, you're way ahead of the game because most people won't even admit that. And the people that I find that do admit that are usually end up having a more peaceful journey, a more fulfilled journey at the end of their life. So that's just a beautiful way of handling it. Not trying to, I feel like, I know you said you're trying to be human, but I feel like a lot of people might react thinking they have to respond with an answer. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, that acknowledgement, that's, that goes a long way. I make maybe it makes them feel a little less alone. Are you guys taught leading into it, like institutionally? Do you learn like psychology? Like what are, what are the methods for you to learn? Are you just thrown in the fire and you figure it out? Um, no, we're not taught. That's such a good question because it's like how the fuck I talk about swearing, but like how the fuck is anyone supposed to know how to do this? I have no idea. I feel like my personality and ex- life experience and stuff has helped me do this, and I do have a degree in psychology now that I think about this. <laughs> I do. I have a four-year degree in psychology (laughs) that I got before I was a nurse, uh, which I don't think actually plays into any of this. It might subconsciously. You might just be doing things you learned you don't even know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, So, no. No one is taught. Uh, Side note, I am doing a podcast coming up with a guy who was an ICU physician who has a whole program that he does where he teaches physicians how to have conversations like this because no one's, because we aren't taught. It's not even talked about, at least, at least from what I can remember in nursing school, I do not remember even learning about death and dying. That's what I thought. I'm not anywhere associated with the industry. I don't know who I spoke to or her, but it seemed like that was a missing piece. 
Yeah. And the way I learned, I think, was through time and experience. And I had a really good mentor, um, Dr. Cartmel. I followed her around because when you're um, when you're a hospice nurse, you work with hospice doctors, and they do what we call face to faces. Not they don't have to do it all the time, but they do eventually have to see the patient face to face. And I used to do visits with her when she would do face to faces with my patients, and I would listen to her talk, and she was like a pro. So that's how I learned a lot of the stuff that I've said are, are regurgitations from her mouth. <laughs> it's like I literally just copied what she said. What if you didn't have a good mentor? What the hell do you do? What do you? Yeah, you're a bad hospice nurse. No, I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but there are. I mean, there are definitely any nurse or any physician or any any like there are people who just aren't good at people it's things. every, every they occupation just or... they're just not good at it but i um talked to this the physician that has this program where he teaches physicians how to talk to about this and he says people can be taught so that's great so um but no we aren't i i wasn't i mean i just i think personality and mirroring other people has helped me and just uh being I'm really into it. I'm really into people. I'm really into death and dying and like being comfortable with the uncomfortable. So like when someone says like, I'm really afraid to die, it doesn't make me uncomfortable, right? And that's just because I'm around it all the time. So I don't, and that just took time. I'm sure when I was an ICU nurse, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would have been like, it's okay. Uh, uh, uh. You know, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, you know, <laughs> what? like I, it just takes time. Yeah. That was a really long-winded I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it, it, you answered my question. I was just wondering. It, it seems like it's not in the curriculum like it should be. And I, I hate referencing a book that I haven't read or finished, but On, <laughs> uh, on Death and Dying. Um, Is that what it's called? Uh, who's the famous author? It's like a famous like staple of a book. Should I Google this oh, right God, now? I probably didn't read it either. Um, People always ask me about I can't books. Remember, nine times out of ten, I remember the author's name and anyone listening that's like – in the clinical field is probably going to hate me. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She wrote a book on death and dying. And for anyone that has read it, I could be completely butchering this, but I thought the book kind of specified how the institutions and hospitals and are not really taught, at least part of the book maybe, are not really taught on how to handle death. And I feel like the hospitals, I just had a great podcast with BJ Miller. And BJ Miller, it had an te amazing TED Talk I, I, Alice I, talked about BJ Miller. I got to check this dude out. I'll, I'll send you his TED Talk. Something about this guy was just so like, Deep. I feel like I feel like he was like a poet, even though he wasn't. He was just so deep and insightful. And he kind of his mission is to kind of transition that palliative, palliative hospice transition end of life to just with more care and insight and thought and thoughtfulness. And I just feel like it's not really considered enough. Is he a physician? Like what's his? Yeah, he's a physician. Okay. Um, but he was just he, he is had he a single. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a good, he is a good looking man. He's a good looking man. I'm not gonna lie. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, I'll, I'll send you his TED talk to start there. It's a really, it's like a tw great twenty minute lecture, and he's, he's amazing. Um, I don't know where the hell I was going with that. But, I know, sorry, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. People aren't taught things. I, and I could be butchering this book. It might have nothing to do with that, to be honest. But I, I just, it, it just relates to what you were doing. How I th it seems like it should be more part of the curriculum as opposed to getting thrown in the fire. Because my thought is, if you get thrown in the fire, you're gonna learn. What about the poor people that you're dealing with for the first couple times? You know what I mean? I don't know if you like butcher it up a little bit. Yeah. And and really along the lines of like butchering it up, I feel like even if you are taught, right? Like even if you, if there is a whole like chapter in the book when you're in school, like it still takes real world uh, experience in general, but it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> that's for sure to, 
I mean, I think, I mean, this is a whole, I think there needs to be a whole entire shift in end of life. Uh, I mean, I just think we do it wrong in the world, but I don't really know. My experience is in America. So, but to me in America, we, we do it wrong. We work too hard to get people to not die. And it just causes a lot of suffering. What about the flip side of the of being on your side? How the hell do you deal with it? It's so funny you say this. So really, I'm actually pretty good at shutting it down. Like uh, as far as like emotionally, like I have a really good separation from work and my life. And the only way I was able to do that was to work pretty, like I have a really good setup that not everyone um, is able to do, but I really encourage people to try. I think a lot of people think they can't do it. Um, people meaning nurses or physicians or anyone in the healthcare field. I work per diem. So I still work like 32 to 40 hours a week. So it's still pretty much full-time, but because it's per diem, I don't have to work like holidays. I don't have to work overtime. I don't have to work on call hours. Every place you go will be different, but I highly suggest you look for places that will do this. And I make my own schedule. You know, like I just feel very separate from my job because it's like, I'm like a helper. Like I help out the other nurses and On your own accord. On my own accord, yeah. So then I can take breaks a lot. So, and I can do that because I pay for my own insurance. I I plan for my own retirement. I don't get paid days off, but I plan for all of that. You get paid more as a per diem. So like I make it all work for me. And because of that, I have a really good balance of between life, my own life and work life. And this sounds awful, but I put myself before my patients, before work, before like myself is first. And, um, and because of that, I can be a really good nurse. So I think so often it's so easy to be like the patient matters most and they do to an extent, but there's also an extent where you have to shut it down and you have to be like, sorry, I can't work late. I can't come to that visit late because I can't work late and end of story. And there's something about that that helps me survive (laughs) so I don't get sucked into all of the emotional part of it because then you can't do your job. And I've actually, there's a fine line there because last week, so normally I would just sit on that. I would just sit on that and be like, that's what it is. You have to do that. But last week I will say I did not do that because I couldn't, because there are certain circumstances where like, shit, you just can't. Like I was helping someone with a die with dignity medication, which means they can take medication to end their own life. And which I fully believe in. And and they wanted a nurse to be there when they were taking it just for their family and like all the things, right? And that was a moment where I was like, okay, boundaries, boundaries, smoundries, Julie. This is like someone's last day on planet Earth. Like, I think you can work past five. Like, (laughs) and and of course, like, right? Like there's there's like a give and take to this. And that week, uh, for whatever reason, was just like really, really, really heavy. And I think, it, and it affected me like crazy. And I think it's because I took my boundaries away and said, you know what? This is your time. I'm here for you and your family. And like, whatever happens, happens. I'll be here till you guys need me. Because um, to me, it mattered that much, right? So, and because of that, I I, I did suffer or suffer, I don't know. I did uh, whatever the word, like it felt way more heavy. I like was crying all week. Like I couldn't do anything after work. I was just like in bed and just sort of like, oh man, just so drained. So if my work was like that all the time, I could definitely not do it. But it's like, I only do that every once in a while because there's certain circumstances where you just sort of have to. And, you know, 
It's okay. And what I did was I took, because I work per diem, I took two days off that week and just did exactly what I wanted to do, which is usually be outside and be near the ocean or in trees and be alone. I need to be alone. That helps me really fill up. And two days later, I was like ready to go at it again. But like, um, yeah, so boundaries help me not make it so heavy when I can't have that because there's certain circumstances where it's like, you need to be there for somebody because you it matters. Uh, then I have to take more days off and, and really take care of myself. And everyone will, that will look different for everybody. For me, I need to be away from people and in nature. Some people need to be with people and whatever. I don't know what they do, but. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. For, in order for you to do good at what you do, you gotta be, you gotta optimize yourself. So if you don't want to come, like it's like, if you didn't sleep last night, you're not going to come in ready to go and be beneficial to that person. Yeah. So it's impressive that you're able to shape those two worlds because I feel like that, to me, I don't know how I would handle it, but I feel like I would take that shit home with me way too easily. I don't know what that would do to me. Even though I feel like there are so many lessons in what you do that I'm sure you've learned from your patience and your experience because death is one hell of a teacher, mm-hmm. whether it's personal or through your clients. It's a pretty loaded question, but what are some of the things, whatever comes to mind, like what what have you learned most from your experience as a hospice nurse that you've been able to apply to your own life, whether it's gratefulness or et cetera, et cetera? I think, and this is what I try, this is why, I, this is literally why I started a TikTok is that acceptance is like being able to live a life of acceptance uh, will help you live better and die better. So anyone who is accepting their diagnosis willing to say to me, I'm afraid, willing to say, I don't want to die or say like, I'm pissed or whatever they say, right? Anyone like acceptance of emotions, acceptance of the experience, acceptance of the prognosis. I'm relating it to hospice, right? I feel like that transcends everything. To live a free life, you need to live in acceptance of whatever's happening. And my patients have taught me that. And um, that goes for if you're dying on hospice or if you're like stuck in traffic and you're late to something, right? Like acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. That that example happened to me today. So literally pulling out of my street at a breakfast at 8 a.m. with um, a good friend of mine before here. And long story short, I was kind of cutting it close. And as I was making a left, of course, there's like construction going on and there's a long, and instantly I made the left. And like my natural instinct was like to say, oh, God damn, like, I, I shut that down quickly. I, I'm getting be- much better at that at this point in my life. And I was like, all right, well, I can't. What am I going to do? Am I going to run this guy over? So I just sat there and waited. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as the guy, and as soon as the guy like made another gesture to stop, I looked like I instinctually looked to my right. And the guy next to me was literally banging the wheel, threw his hands in the air, cursing at himself. And I was like, there's the difference. I wasn't I'm not, like tooting my own horn. I was like, Jesus, like that guy is just not accepting the situation and then causing himself stress and mental decay in the moment. So I, I hear, I like to think that's what you're saying and that acceptance on so many levels whereas death is just like, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And you learn that from the best people in the world. It's crazy. And that's just one of the things. I mean, of course, gratefulness, of course, being being grateful. Uh, like every night I do this thing, that I do this little email thing uh, and send it to friends and we all send it to each other about being grateful and like what was good, what was bad and all the different things. And I always put health on there because I feel like my patients always talk to me too about how like I wish I would have understood how lucky I was that I could like walk around and get outside and drive and not be in pain. And, you know, um, it's just really easy to take 
really simple things for granted. Yeah, especially the simple things because they're so routine. It's like, oh, I, I walk every day. Why am I going to think about that? But then once you see an example of someone that can't do something you do every day, it opens your eyes. Not a lot of people take a moment to reflect on that. Mm-hmm. So you're in a really uh, important position. And that was, I feel like that that question I just asked was kind of like a, a fading out question where like at the big crescendo at the end. But I wanted to ask you about, um, what, what do you call it? Deathbed visions? Yeah. What what the hell's going on there? I hear that all, I've know. heard that multiple times. Like what, so people see dead relatives and or pets before they pass and that's a constant thing? Yeah. So we... We, meaning I guess like the hospice world, would call it visioning. And it usually happens like a month before someone's going to die, um, if they're on hospice. I don't I don't mean like just randomly in the world. But if they are, we know they're dying, usually about a month before. Um, but people do this all the time. So it doesn't have to be a month exactly is my point. Uh, and they will see and talk about seeing dead relatives or loved ones. It doesn't, be, doesn't have to be relatives. Because whenever I say that, people are like, I hate my relatives. <laughs> Am I going to see them? I'm like, no, no, no. Just anyone like you love, usually. It's very comforting. So dead relatives, friends, pets, sometimes angels, sometimes God or Jesus or whoever they associate with, you know, that whatever religion they are. It doesn't have to be Jesus. Sometimes it's in dreams, but usually it's like actually seeing them. Oh, usually they're awake? Actual, yeah, they're awake and usually very lucid. And... It just happens so much that we actually educate about it. So people and family members aren't afraid because it never fails. We get a call, you know, my dad's hallucinating. He's telling me he's seeing his parents. And and then I get there and he's like not hallucinating. And he seems very alert and oriented. Is actually comforted the fact that like his parents came to him and said, hey, don't worry about everything. We'll come and get you. <laughs> like, you know, it's so. And then I have to explain to them like, oh, this is actually just visioning. Because those are the videos that always go viral on my TikTok and people. So when anything's viral, you get a bunch of negative stuff too. Naturally. So people always think that I am trying to push the agenda of like an afterlife or, and it's, it's not. I mean, I have no clue what happens after we die. But I do know that witnessing people die over and over again, because I do, I'm a hospice nurse. This is a thing that happens and it happens a lot. I mean, definitely more than 50% of people it happens to. Then they say, well, it's probably because of the drugs. And no, they're usually not on drugs. Or if they are, that those drugs don't cause hallucinations. So it's it's never anything that's like confusing or they're agitated. So people with like dementia, right? They already they already have agitation sometimes and they will see like pets or spiders or, you know, they might be agitated by it. That's much different than visioning. And people with dementia can also have visions. So it's, it's, and it's the difference is they're pleasant and they're happy about it and they feel comforted by it. So if someone's agitated by it, uh, that's usually some kind of agitation or delirium. Delirium is usually associated with like fear and anxiety and agitation versus this very clear idea of like, mom's here. She's telling me it's okay. So that's that's the difference, and it's amazing. It's beautiful to watch. What, what does that do to your? I know you're saying you got some negative slack about pushing the afterlife, but come on, like what's? All right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have always kind of, I always have felt like something happens after this, and I'm very clear to say I don't know what it is, but I think it's good. And hospice has only 
solidified that more, right? When I see people staring up at something and reaching up and saying mom or smiling or, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. I don't know what it is, but it makes me feel comforted and they sure as hell look really comforted, which is what we all want. Being around death, does it reassure you an experience like this? Does it give you more peace and less fear around what, you know, you're Oh, totally. You kind, of, kind of just, you accept it back yes. to that? Yes, 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 yes. Like, I, I do always say, like, I don't want to die. If I got diagnosed with a terminal illness tomorrow, I would be, like, pissed, right. you know? Yeah. And I'd have all the emotions. I would still have fear. I would still have sadness and anger. And But for the most part, I don't fear death. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I wonder how many hospice nurses do feel like that. Once you do what you do, I feel like at some point you're going to come to terms with it. I would, yeah, I would I like think, to think. I, I feel like most of us feel the same. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, like I've experienced death. Into, have you experienced like any personal loss in your life? Mm-hmm. Yes. And is your lessons from hospice applied to your grieving process? Or is it kind of like once, once shit happens to you, it could be a completely different ballgame, obviously. Right. Well, I think too, there is a, at least for me, there is, there's my, all of my like real personal are kind of like yours, like very sudden, sudden loss of like something that you're like, it's, uh, yeah. So it wasn't, I wasn't prepared. So I feel like hospice does um, a service where it prepares people because you have time, you know? Um, so all of my loss has not been like that. It's been like a sudden, tragic accident. It feels different for me, but I'm still okay with it. Yeah, I think it was just because like you, hospice, it's, it's still obviously personal because you're, you know, but it's still a patient. I'm not diminishing it, I don't know what I mean, but so when you lose someone in your life that like personally... I just wonder how much of a difference that is, you know, in the way you process it, in the way if you can apply what you've learned by being around death, yeah, seeing people pass, and if you can apply those lessons to for your own healing when you lose someone, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I actually haven't. Now that I think about it, all of my like really great loss, like my like devastating loss, was before I was even a nurse. Oh wow, I was young, but now I do think because it's going to happen again. That's life, right? Mm. I do feel like what I've learned about death now will definitely help in the future. It probably won't help. It'll help the grieving process in general, but like grief is grief. Whether you know, whether you understand death and don't think it's the worst thing, like you will still have, or I think I'll definitely still have like grief and deep sadness. Yeah. You're not going to have like a grief Kevlar vest on. Yeah. But I think the the built-in awareness that you're, implementing to your, you know, your audience when it does, like you've mentioned, it does help, you know, a preparedness for it. It's not going to, it's not going to, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to suck. You're still going to have your ups and downs of emotions. But I think that awareness you're building in just allows you to maybe process it and deal with it in a, maybe a more, in a better way, possibly, or I hope. But I don't know. Then again, when shit happens, you don't, sometimes you don't know how the hell you're going to react. Death doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Like it does, it's painful if it's like a motorcycle accident, right? But I'm talking about like hospice death, right? That yeah. doesn't mean it's wrong just because you feel really sad about it. Right. <laughs> like you're going to. Yeah. Like people will be like, my dad died and I can't, um, I feel devastated. I can't get over it. You know, like help me. What can I do? And it's like, there's not much to do. Like that's mm. a pretty appropriate response yeah. to your dad dying yeah. or, who, or whoever's really close. That's a really appropriate response. Like, you feel really sad in the moment. Like, that's all really appropriate. It doesn't take, just because you have knowledge about it, like, I'm here to bring you knowledge to decrease your fear. But that doesn't mean you're not going to be really sad and it doesn't. it's not going to feel really bad. Right. That's also part of it. So I think we also don't, 
we as humans, I guess I shouldn't speak as we, but it does seem like pretty collective. We don't want to feel bad. Right. If we feel bad, something's wrong. We need to fix what this because we don't like feeling bad. But it's kind of like, eh, unfortunately, <laughs> this is what's going to. Yeah. yeah, you're going to feel bad and that's pretty appropriate. And I always say, like, I feel like healing is in community. Like, we need to not feel alone. We never want to reach out. I keep talking in this collective we. I'm so sorry, people, if you're like, listen, that's not me. <laughs> nah, it's good. But in general, like, <laughs> I don't want to reach out when I feel really bad. I want to, like, but then there is something about the, a community of people who say, me too. I have felt that too. That can be really healing. Yeah, there's a whole movement on that. Yes. Yeah, see, there's a reason me why I was called me too. Oh, my God, But yeah. it, it kind of does relate to full circle about what you were saying. When I asked the question about, does have any of your patients asked if they were or mentioned that they were scared of dying and your response was well yeah and it's it's a, i think that's an appropriate response back to people that are however however you react is appropriate i don't think there's a right way to grieve and i think like how you're saying oh yeah how you feel like that that's appropriate and i feel like no matter how they react it's kind of appropriate you just kind of let that you let that be without forcing to fix it and thinking is this right or wrong yeah and no matter what preparedness we have it's it's going to hit you yeah. and um that's just what it is but in regards to what you're doing, I think you're—I I just love what you're doing, and you do it in such a tasteful, fun, as weird as that say sounds way of um, just offering really great information. You do it in such a great way. You're a lovely conversation. You're easy to talk to, so it's no question. It's easy to see why you're good at what you do and why people are following you. It's, pre- you. it's pretty basic. So I'm excited to see what's next. Hopefully, you, do, you hop on, continue to hop on more podcasts to get your voice out there even more beyond this because you're a great little uh, contestant. <laughs> That's the wrong word. It's like thesaurus. little. I'll take it. Little? You're, yeah, like I'm little. Oh. <laughs> is that what I said, little? Yeah, you go, uh, great little. I was what? like, you're right, I am little. Is that no. is what's wrong? Is something wrong with little? Or <laughs> No, I like being okay. I want to be little. I'm not really little. I'm uh, kind of like 5'8 and, and not little. So when I'm in some, <laughs> someone says little, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I thought, that's, it felt right for me. So, I mean, that's your own prerogative. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for being on here. I don't know if there's any last minute plugs. I'll, tell, I'll put everything on for people to contact or find you. But um, is there Anything else you want to drop before we bounce out of here? Uh, no, nothing else. Just come find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I'm on all of the things. You're on all the things. Which it takes, which is a lot, but I'm into it. And that's it. Thanks oh. for listening and talking to me. Yeah, it's been look, great. Thank you so much. You were great. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dead Talks. And until next time, ciao.